Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from Talk Sport with me Sam Matterface the European football expert Kevin Hatchard and Talk Sports football correspondent Alex Crook as the Manchester derby takes centre stage Ilanga is it Ilanga 1-1 out of nothing Manchester United are back on level terms. Really for Mares. Mares coming inside, finds the bottom left-hand corner. And Manchester City have the breakthrough. It has taken them an hour. Absolutely no chance for Steven Bender. That was class from Mares. Also this week, we'll be looking at the top four race with West Ham going to Liverpool and Tottenham and Arsenal having winnable fixtures. At the bottom of the table, it's a big day for both Brentford and Norwich City, and we'll preview every single fixture in forensic detail. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. And a big hello to Kevin Hatchard. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, Sam. Very well. Exciting games ahead. Mm. A good part of the season. Always enjoy this bit. Yes, well, I think I described it last night, actually, or on our Wednesday night, as the decisive part of the season where it all clicks into gear. And certainly that is going to be the case with Manchester City playing Manchester United and Liverpool in action against West Ham as well. It has implications for the top four race and the title race this week. There's a few big games at the bottom of the table as well. Alex Crook is here. Hello. Hello, I've spent a lot of time with you this week, probably, probably too much, but uh, nice to see you. Actually, it's not that much more than normal, to be honest with you, is it? Let's be completely fair. We have been filling in for Simon uh, Jordan and Jim White on TalkSport over the course of the week. It's been great fun, actually, uh, despite the fact that some of the subjects we've had to cover have been very heavy. But we will concentrate solely on the football here uh, today. Uh, what is there anything you learned from midweek, Kevin? Uh, I think we learned about... That depth of Liverpool squads, which I know you witnessed firsthand, it's amazing to have put in the kind of effort they put in at Wembley at the weekend and then be able to make all of those changes. And even though they were pushed hard towards the end of that game, still be able to come through fairly comfortably. I think we learned that Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner still have quality, even if they don't have confidence. So I think that could be important for Chelsea going forward. Okay, and uh, what about you? Because you went to a few games, didn't you? You did Burnley against Leicester. Then you were at Southampton against West Ham. I think the big lesson I learned is not to question <laughs> Ralph Hasenhutl's <laughs> team selection. Uh, Should that, know that by now. Yeah, although, went, as as he told me afterwards, footed, I you? did. You went in two-footed on him. I did, but I was, I was genuinely quite staggered uh, by the fact he made nine changes, bearing in mind that really the FA Cup is all Southampton have tangible to play for. And I learned that West Ham are paying the price for not strengthening 
in January. They were disappointing and looked really short of energy. I worry for them going into the weekend and to Sevilla next week. It's been a long time since Manchester United won a trophy and it could be a little while longer as well. They've got a big job on their hands this weekend when they go to the Etihad Stadium to take on Manchester City. And, you know, Manchester City have been in fantastic form. They've only lost uh, two games or only failed to win two games in their last 16. Manchester United have only won two in their last seven matches. So how do they get the better of Manchester City this weekend? Because there was a time when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would take on Manchester City. You know, they may not win all the big games, but they, they tended to do quite well against them. Yes, they did. Um, I don't have any great confidence that run will continue this weekend. I think Manchester City have had their mind focused by the fact they lost a game, which doesn't happen very often, and by the fact that Liverpool are breathing down their necks. So I think it's a bad time for Manchester United to be making that trip across the city. Actually, United's form under Ralph Rangnick uh, isn't that bad in terms of uh, points picked up, in terms of defeats. They've still only lost that one game in the Premier League. I was there against Wolverhampton Wanderers, but the performances remain unconvincing. And the quality of opponent that they've played in that run. Yes, exactly. So it's going to be difficult for Manchester United. It goes without saying... I think if they come away with a a two-goal defeat and a semi-decent performance, I think that's just about as much as you can expect. Manchester City's defence hasn't actually been as superb as it was earlier in, in the season recently. I mean, even a couple of times, Peterborough almost breached them in midweek. Obviously, recently we've seen Harry Kane and Tottenham Hotspur pull them apart a little bit. But I'm looking at the Manchester United attack. Over the course of the last 13 games that Rangnick's been in charge of, 160 chances they've created. They've only scored 20 goals in that period, Kevin. Ronaldo's dried up a little bit. I think it's something like one goal in his last 10 matches. Rashford, two goals in his last 19. How do you solve that? Yeah, it's a concern because Ralph Rangnick's talked about this. You know, they've actually produced some decent displays. They've been carving out the chances. He says, look, I'd rather sit here and talk about missed chances rather than talk about not creating chances at all. So he can't get on the field uh, much as I think he'd love to and whack the ball into the top corner for them. So uh, I think he'll be encouraged that they are making chances. I think you're right about Manchester City. Uh, I think obviously that horrendous penalty decision got them out of jail to some extent against Everton at Goodison. They weren't completely convincing in that game. I mean, it's a very high bar they've set, but they have dipped a little bit recently. And I think the other thing as well is that for all the data and the stats we look at, this is a weird fixture. It is a really strange (laughs) game, these Manchester derbies, because you look at the last, say, 16 or 17 in all competitions. I think it's only three of them have been won by the home side or something ridiculous like that. So uh, that's an extraordinary set of data, really, set of games. So, look, United will be fired up. It's as important for them as it is for City because... You know, City are pushing for the league, but if Manchester United don't qualify for the Champions League for next season, that's a complete disaster for them. And they've got teams like Arsenal putting serious pressure on. So this will be a genuine test for Manchester United and for Rangnick as a Premier League coach. And obviously, if they don't get into the Champions League, that might affect their recruitment issues in the in the summer, even maybe even down to the manager themselves, whoever that is going to be. And, you know, there's been all sorts of rumours this week about Carlo Ancelotti and Eric Ten Hag. And I've not others. had the call yet. You haven't enough. had the call? No. no. no I'm, sure, I'm sure it's coming. Hey, they're going through a thorough process. You remember that. They're going a thorough process. About time too. Pep Guardiola has only tasted victory once in a Manchester derby 
at home. Kevin's right. The statistics are odd in this game. It's an odd game, but it feels a little bit like the tables are turned because for many years, Manchester United were the big giant and every now and again, City would give them a bloody nose in a derby. Now it's Manchester City who do all the winning and Manchester United who give them the odd bloody nose. Thanks for that. <laughs> I True, quite, though. I quite enjoyed delivering it. <laughs> Just to see the look on your face more than anything else. The, the worst uh, element of it is that it's uh, it's going to be kicking off just before I go on air with the two Darrens for the boot room. So that's going to be quite uncomfortable trying to present a show while Manchester United are probably being given the runaround that the Etty had. Yeah, well, listen, I'm sure it'll be absolutely fine. I mean, it's not as if Manchester, Manchester City have got a whole raft of resources that are desperate to prove a point. Also, it's not as if they really need to win the game to keep a pace with Liverpool at the top of the table, which I suppose actually adds an added dimension as well, doesn't it, this weekend? I mean, you know, the fact that Manchester City have been reeled into a certain extent, you know, six points the gap now. Liverpool have a game in hand. They've got Manchester City to play so City can't afford any slip-ups whatsoever between now and the date that they meet in April I think Liverpool have done a sensational job in finding the consistency you need to actually live with City Guardiola's changed the game in the Premier League we've seen that in terms of the points totals that you need to win the league and Liverpool have been the only team that has come close to living with them so I think they've done a sensational job I actually think it could help City in the long run in terms of winning the Champions League because the longer they have to stay sharper and really at 100%, I think it's better for them. If you look at Guardiola's time at Bayern, for example, and in seasons gone by with City, but certainly at Bayern, he had the League One in March and they had this really strange part of the season where they were on autopilot and he found it very, very difficult to bridge that intensity gap between what they had to do domestically and what they had to do in those really big Champions League games. Almost like keeping them honest, isn't it, really? Mm. You know, the fact yeah. that uh, they're being pushed all the way by Liverpool. Yeah, and Kev's absolutely right to uh, to make the comparison with Bayern Munich. That was exactly what was going through my head. I think this is shaping up for a sensational end to the season. Obviously, Liverpool have got the first piece of silverware uh, in the bag. Jurgen Klopp has been very keen to play down the fact they could win all four trophies. I he think says it, it's crazy talk. I think it'll be difficult because of the quality of opposition they're up against. I've said before, I think we are heading, if the draw gods align for an all-English Champions League final, if Liverpool and Manchester City are kept apart, I think could easily see those two meeting in that final. They might meet in the FA Cup final as well. We're recording this before the draw is made on Thursday night. It's going to be a fascinating rivalry between those two for the rest of the campaign, both domestically and in Europe. And then you've got the, the, the Chelsea situation thrown into the equation as well. second and they are on the way to the quarterfinals already whatever comes we will we will try to be ready for it it's tough as a team we won't get carried away we'll take each game as it comes and um, and like i said in the near future hopefully there's more trophies to be won if you win four then you'd have to go down as the best team ever sam won wolves nil 58 minutes gone in this game and thomas socek has scored it tapping home inside the six yard area the squad i've had at the moment has done a brilliant job in the last two years I've got no no reason why I wouldn't think they would do a brilliant job in the coming coming next three months between now and the end of the season. OK, let's uh, turn our attention to Liverpool-West Ham because the Manchester Derby is Sunday, 4.30. Liverpool-West Ham is 5.30 
on Saturday night, live on TalkSport. I'm going to be there for TalkSport. Um, Liverpool obviously have already, as you said, won the Carabao Cup. They've got into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup for the first time under Jurgen Klopp. And they've won eight of the last ten meetings against the West Ham side who have just started to stutter and are in danger of their season falling apart. And David Moyes said after the game on uh, Wednesday night that he felt unless the players' level increased, Kevin, then they wouldn't win anything at all. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think there have been mixed messages from Moyes, actually, because he talked after the transfer window shut about, well, I didn't want to just bring in players to improve the squad. I wanted to improve the starting eleven. That's fine. But when did that business actually begin? Uh, And I just think if they were in a position financially to make those signings, they really should have done because it was clear from the get-go they wanted to give the Europa League a proper go and I have massive respect for them for doing that. And they've got a great tie coming up against Sevilla. But what you don't want is when you get to this part of the season when it really counts, the players to be shattered. And Ralph Hasenhutl made reference to it, didn't he, after Southampton beat West Ham in midweek. He said that uh, David felt that the difference was being able to bring on those fresh players. Well, if United, if West Ham United are not in a position to do that at this stage in the season, the blame, quite simply, lies with them. Um, West Ham got the better of Liverpool earlier in the season. I think they beat them three goals to two. But Jurgen Klopp's side have lost just one of their last 25 games in all competitions. That's some run. And it does show, you know, I know he's talked a lot about bringing this German company into the group that deal with neuroscience and, and make them the mentality monsters that they are. They are very good at being focused and having that character to just keep on relentlessly winning. I think if you go further back, it's two defeats in the best part of 50 games in all competitions. So clearly that whatever he's doing is working. I think this is a, dif- a different West Ham side than the one that beat them at London Stadium. That was West Ham, full of confidence, full of running, full of energy, playing at the absolute top of their game. They aren't uh, doing that coming into the weekend. And I think you point there to Jurgen Klopp's domestic cut record, which is probably the one area of his CV that has been criticised since he came to Anfield the fact he can make so many changes and still ease past a fellow Premier League team in midweek I think is an illustration uh, of the strength of the squad now that he's assembled and again I think he'll need to utilise that squad for the rest of the campaign I think he's well aware of that but they'll beat West Ham based on what I saw in midweek they'll beat West Ham I think the cup thing's really interesting because I think some people have assumed that it's maybe some kind of German attitude to cup competitions and that's why he would play the youngsters uh, in the in the League Cup, of course, in early rounds and what have you and why he hasn't had uh, a good success rate in domestic cup competitions in England. I think he just feels he hasn't had the squad to do it until now and that he didn't really have a choice but to play those youngsters in the early rounds of cup competitions. If you actually look at Germany as a whole, they've only got one cup competition, which is the DFB Pokal, and it's taken generally very, very seriously. And he has won it as a German coach. He has won it with Borussia Dortmund. So I don't think it was necessarily that. I don't think it was a disdain for the domestic cup competitions. I just don't think he felt until now he actually had the options to be able to give it a proper go and succeed in the league and the Champions League. I mean, he's got more than enough options now, hasn't he? I mean, you look yeah. at the squad. I mean, you'll know as a common before you uh, 
go to a game, you spend a lot of time doing a lot of preparation, making sure that you've got little bits of detail on every single player. Liverpool, the hardest ones to prepare for <laughs> because their squad extends into stupid numbers, 87, 88. I mean, you're talking, I think it's about, I think I said to you before the uh, the cup game against Cardiff, me and Crook were just talking about, you know, preparation and stuff. I said, I had to do 45 players for Liverpool because you just didn't yeah. know who was going to turn up in that match and it was similar in midweek as well and once you sort of started that you sort of top it up over the course of of a period but like that they have got a raft of great options and actually last year's injury issues where they had to use some of the youngsters actually meant that some of those youngsters got more game time than maybe they would have done in different circumstances and have developed as a result into first team players and that's why the squad looks a little bit healthier than maybe it would have done prior to that so they've used that very well indeed so well done to Jurgen Klopp for, for, for bringing those younger players through and adding to the squad with great recruitment like uh, Luis Diaz who, who looks a, a real find quick word on, on, on West Ham Antonio is scoring again, and that is a plus. Well, that was only his second goal in midweek since New Year's well, Day. Well, he has scored. And it was a two-yard tapping gifted to him by <laughs> Willie Caballero. All right, so. okay. So you're, you're pouring scorn on the fact that he's put the ball in the back of the net. <laughs> no, I saw I, someone miss from four yards the other day. I've seen you miss from four yards. Um, but listen, he's going to give his confidence the world of good. And actually, he did look a little bit sharper, particularly the first half and West Ham were on top. But it's just such a burden on Mikel Antonio. I think also... As much as not strengthening in January, you can go further back to the summer transfer window. Nikola Vlasic was a player they paid a, a pretty considerable transfer fee for, and he's made no impact at all on the first team. Alex Crowell coming in on loan as the latest of the Czech Republic contingent. He'll be going back to his parent club at the end of the season because he's not been able to really force his way into the team either. So I think West Ham's recruitment issues go back a lot further than this most recent window. At 12.30 on Saturday, live on game day, is Leicester against Leeds United. And uh, you and I have just spoken to Wilfred Ndidi building up to this game. Yes, Ndidi. And he was talking... Oh, go, fantastic. We've never heard that one before. Um, we were talking... Uh, about the change at Leicester City over the last couple of weeks. Brendan Rodgers obviously came under a lot of pressure. There was a lot of criticism. He says they've blocked that out and they are refinding themselves again, helped in part by the player he calls the class clown, Jamie Vardy. Well, they were superb in midweek, Leicester. Uh, as you know, I've, I've been pretty critical of Brendan Rodgers. I think it's been a, a disappointing you, you season. You're quite generous to most people. You're not very a critical character. No, but I think it has been a disappointing season and their injury problems have been well documented. But some of the goals that they've conceded have been really schoolboy. They haven't really resolved that issue with the fact they're vulnerable from set pieces. But it, it was more like the old Leicester uh, against Burnley. They were quite defensively solid. Um Jamie Vardy and Madison both coming on and making an impact with the two goals and if Jamie Vardy can stay fit for the rest of the season I think it will be a better end to the campaign than we've seen so far um, Leeds United have got a new manager they got rid of Marcelo Bielsa because they couldn't keep conceding 16 goals a game and think that they were going to survive in the league Kevin but they brought in Jesse Marsh formerly of the Bundesliga, an American manager who plied his trade at the New York Red Bulls, but also worked with RB Leipzig as well in two different spells, once as an assistant, briefly as a head coach. Just tell us a little bit about what he's going to bring to the party at Ellen Road. So he's built up a lot of experience, as you say, whether it's as a head coach in America or at Salzburg or as an assistant 
at Leipzig. He worked with Ralf Rangnick in the Red Bull school, if you like, that Red Bull group of clubs. And this is a guy that isn't too far away from where Bielsa is in terms of ideology. And what I mean by that is that he will be aggressive. He will want his team to press high. And so you look at the kind of stats and you think, well, actually, Leeds are still running uh, enough. They're still pressing enough. You know, the most pressures, most successful pressures, that kind of thing. So they are still doing all that stuff. What he will look to do is be a bit more selective in terms of when they press. So that will then put less pressure on the defence, in theory. He will look to still stay on the front foot, score goals. But they're simply too easy to play against. Worst defence in the Premier League, highest shots on target allowed per 90, highest goals per shot. All of the data tells you they're all over the shop. And you can see that with your eyes. You don't need the data <laughs> to tell you that. Um, so I think he's a good choice in the sense he's a, he's a great man manager. So he's somebody who's quite humble. So he'll go in there and he won't do a clough, for example, uh, and kind of slate the players straight away as soon as he arrives and say, the way you've been doing this is all wrong. He won't do that. He will go in and he will work with them to try and find a middle ground between what Bielsa was doing. He'll take the good bits of that and he'll try and build upon those. It sounds as though he was the plan long-term anyway, yeah. and it's just been brought forwards. And I think they've identified somebody who, if he can keep them up this season, can take the club on a further step. So it's a risk because his time at Leipzig did not go well. And I think there are various reasons for that, but I think if it works, I think it's a good long-term bet. That would be my concern um, with Jesse Marsh. I think Kev is right. I think we've been saying for a while on this podcast that Marcelo Bielsa would not be Leeds manager at the start of next season. And Jesse Marsh probably was the man that they'd already identified to succeed him. Yeah. But what they weren't planning on doing, in my opinion, was pitching him in to a relegation battle. And that's where Leeds find themselves he has to hit the ground running because it wouldn't take much for them to find themselves in the bottom three. I think he's learned from the experience at Leipzig as well. He tries to change too much too quickly. He was a coach that came in to play Ralph Rangnick football with a squad that had been assembled and altered by Julian Nagelsmann, whose philosophy is a little bit different. In fact, quite a lot different to Ralph Rangnick. It's not all about pressing high up the field, winning the ball back, turning it over and then counter-attacking. It's more about possession-based football and, and the players had enjoyed that experience under Nagelsmann and then he tried to change it back again probably didn't have the players to do it as well as he'd hoped and he was standing in his kitchen in December suffering with COVID-19 a bank of screens that had been set up in front of him and he was looking at them watching the team train and he just came to the realisation that this wasn't working out for him wasn't working out for the club and in the end they had a discussion and they parted by uh, mutual consent. He's also had some personal issues with his wife being diagnosed with breast cancer, I think maybe just before they went to Leipzig. So the fact that she has been given the all clear now may clear his head a little bit. He's definitely up for a Premier League job. He was doing Premier League interviews, trying to sort of put his name out and about there at sort of January time, December time. So he clearly wants to get involved in this league. He's now the manager of Leeds United and, you know, it, it should be an entertaining start. These are two teams that, that average a lot of goals per game. I think, I think they average uh, Leicester City 19.5, uh, in the last 20 matches, something like 4.5 goals per game, something like that, which means that, you know, look, we should get entertainment if nothing else. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. 
Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bingbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold on. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Well, it's tight at the bottom of the table and Norwich City against Brentford will be in sharp focus this weekend. Brentford have lost eight of their last nine matches. Norwich City, I must admit, I was there on uh, Wednesday night, I think it was, uh, at Anfield. I thought they were unbelievably poor. They started off with a little bit of something about them. They didn't test the goalkeeper at all. I think they had one shot on target in the entire match uh, up until a late effort, which could have forced extra time. But, you know, for a team that were fighting to stay in a competition. I thought they showed very little ambition in that game, especially after they conceded the first goal, after which they sort of collapsed. I'm pleased you said that, uh, because we had an interview with Todd Campwell, Norwich Loney, at Bournemouth on White and Jordan this week, and a few Norwich fans don't seem to have forgiven my comments earlier in the season. In fact, one such Norwich fan <laughs> said, we haven't, well, forgot- we haven't forgotten what you said about us. Now, if you're going to send that kind of message and take some kind of moral high ground... You would like to think that they've proved me wrong in some way. But when I look at the league table, still bottom. When I look at their performances, still rubbish. When I look at the players they've signed, still not good enough for the Premier League. So what did I actually say that was wrong? Well, I don't think... I think what you said was wrong was that they were gaming the system or cheating the system. I think that's what you said. So when they're back in the Championship next year with this group of players probably flying quite high, will that mean I was right all along? Uh, I don't. I don't think that you can ever legitimise suggesting that they are. Well, what was your point when you were saying they were cheating the system? You were suggesting what they were just using the money from the parachute payments and. I was saying they weren't the ambitious, not ready to compete in the league. That's yeah. what you were sort of yeah. saying. They had no ambition. Well, yeah, st- they had no ambition to stay in the Premier League. Well, obviously, they want to stay in the Premier League. They're just not good enough to do so. Why are you pulling your face? No one can see that. <laughs> I think there's a balance here. I, I think. I can understand the accusation that they're not competitive at this level. Which they are. And I think that's the fair enough. That's, that's yeah. fair enough. But they're not cheating, are they? I mean, they're just not no. very good. 
No, and I think sometimes we have to be very careful because it can go the other way and you can have clubs and Leeds United fans will identify this with this. He's annoyed them as well, to, to be honest. Who tried to live the dream and it went horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, but so and did so, Norwich. So did Norwich, Kevin. That's the whole point. One of, one of the big problems I have with Norwich and their big holier-than-thou attitude about sometimes, the, you know, we're a self-sustaining club and we look after our finances because they didn't for a while and they did nearly go bust. Yeah, yeah. And look, that Dave clearly learnt lessons from that. I think there is a halfway house. I think you can get it yes. right if your recruitment is better and their recruitment has been very poor. I, at the time, questioned the wisdom of bringing in guys like Josh Sargent and Milot Rashica, who had not helped Werder Bremen stay in the Bundesliga. So if they hadn't been able to help them in a relegation battle, why were they going to be able to help Norwich in a relegation battle at a higher standard? So they were poor signings. I, I don't think you can look at many of the signings they've made and say that they worked. So I think it's it, teams can do it. But they have to get their recruitment spot on. And I think you have to say that Norwich's hasn't been right for quite some time now. Which uh, is bizarre because Stuart Webber, their sporting director, is lauded as some kind of genius. Who by? But is he anymore? By who, their own by? supporters, by people in the media. Like who? By friends of Norwich City. Like who? Who says he's a genius? I don't think you'll find too many Norwich fans who will uh, cast any aspersions at the job that Stuart Webber has done. Well, he's obviously not a genius, because if he was a genius, he'd be higher up the table than, than they are now. And obviously, stick, they stuck far too long with Daniel Farker when it was patently not working. And, and, and Dean Smith actually has made them a little bit harder to beat. You know, not necessarily... Has he? Yeah, a little bit harder to beat, I think. Yeah, they've got more points since Dean Smith has come in. Yeah, definitely. They couldn't have any less. That, that is true. Um, Brentford are, in the words of Tom Petty, free-falling. Um, they are conceding too many goals. They don't look like scoring too many goals. They've got Ericsson available to them now, and uh, even Tony, Ivan Tony back again, so that, that may help. I think there's a bit of a naivety about how they play, and I said that before the season started, that I worried about them. And obviously they started brilliantly, and I looked quite foolish in the opening weeks of the season. But I'm starting to think that in the long term, <laughs> I might have been right about their struggles. <laughs> They've been a bit unfortunate. If you look at their performances at home, they probably should have more points from the home games, some of those performances. But there is a real... I keep hearing Thomas Frank say, oh, well, we played really well, but our performance was great, but... And in the end, you've got to find a way of eking out those points. I think Ericsson will help them. I think that's a really positive story for all concerned. But they need more than that. And they do need to be more clinical in front of goal because you can only have so many hard luck stories before you get sucked into that relegation battle. And if they were to lose this, I mean, they've claimed, what, four points from the last 33 available? They're often in a relegation battle is a team that drops like a stone and it seems to be them. Chelsea take on Burnley uh, this weekend, Saturday, three o'clock. Burnley's sort of fight for survival actually picked up with victory over Tottenham Hotspur. They also won away um, was it against Crystal Palace. Am I right? Is, I think it's no, they uh, got Brighton. Point, they got 3-0, a point at Palace. 3-0 yeah. at Brighton and a point at Palace. But in midweek, they lost once more uh, to Leicester City. So where, where do you see their chances of staying up now? I still worry about where the goals are coming from. Um, again, we bring this up every time, but Kev is, is a fan of Valt Veghorst. I didn't think he was great against Leicester in midweek. I'm still not convinced that he'll score goals 
enough of them to keep Burnley in the Premier League. They have tightened up defensively of late. In fact, only five or six teams have got a better defensive record than Burnley, which sort of illustrates my point that it's the other end of the pitch that's the big problem. They didn't create a lot of chances against Leicester. They actually relied on Nick Pope making three or they four did have a really good saves. In that game, didn't they? Yeah, but he was offside, Maxwell Corne. Um and he didn't see out the 90 minutes. That's a concern, his, his, his fitness issues and the fact that maybe he tires during games. I, I think we're of the belief that if any of the bottom three are going to stay up, Burnley look the most likely. But I still think it's a, a potentially a difficult road for them to do so because of that lack of potency and attack. What about Chelsea? Because they weren't particularly good in the game against Luton, were they? I mean, they gave up two terrible goals. Uh, and actually, it took them quite a while to get themselves in front in the match. I mean, like you said earlier on, Lukaku and Werner did manage to get on the score sheet, which is, is probably a good thing. But that, that needs to happen with a greater deal of regularity if they're to end the season on a high. Yeah, there's a there's an interesting shift gone on there in the sense that last season it was about not necessarily being clinical in front of goal, but they've struggled to create as many chances, I think, maybe this season. I do think it was important that Timo Werner had that performance. I know it was against second-tier opposition, but he was involved either directly or indirectly in all three of those goals. Uh, I thought his work for the Lukaku goal was excellent, actually, and very much what he can be all about, what he was all about at Leipzig. You look at the 28 goals he scored in the final season. Actually, what was more impressive was his creative ability at times when he could drop a little bit deeper uh, and kind of set up other players. So that's important. I I must admit, I'm baffled by the Lukaku situation. I I thought that Thomas Tuchel would be able to find a way of getting him into more goal-scoring positions. I thought Lukaku's work ethic would be maintained from when he was at Inter, and we haven't seen that. I thought his performance against Liverpool in the League Cup final was very strange, just constantly getting offside. I mean, I know these are only, you know, tiny margins, but I still thought it was a very strange performance. And so there are issues there, no doubt. But we talked about the Champions League earlier on and how Liverpool and Manchester City there was every chance if they were kept a part of them meeting in the final. I would rule out Chelsea. I think they're going to make the course finals. They'll see off Lille having won that first leg 2-0. Uh, and they will be there or thereabouts. So I still think there's enough quality there. And Havertz, for all the sticky takes, I think has been excellent. Oh, he's been terrific. Games. He's been terrific in the last yeah. couple of weeks. His performances have certainly improved. And the way he leads the line is actually very good because he's got a lot of movement. He creates space for others. And he, and he can finish. I mean, he... He, yeah. he has shown that. Um, of course, the big issue surrounding Chelsea is the change of ownership, which looks like it's in the offing now. Is there a change of ownership in the offing? I've not seen that. Yeah, well, uh, there's quite a, a obviously a political storm going on because of the war in Ukraine, and it looks as if Roman Abramovich has put the club up for sale and is certainly entertaining bids. Now, how quickly that can happen, and whether or not anybody is willing to play the asking price for for Chelsea is a different matter isn't it but in the short term how will it affect the team the manager how they look at the rest of the season I'm not sure it will we'll take a bit of pressure off Thomas Tuchel because I'm sure he's not thinking about worrying about his job is he potentially not um, I, I did feel a bit of sympathy for Thomas Tuchel when he got a bit animated with the press about constant questions about the war in Ukraine and, and the Russian involvement we have to remember that our football managers, they're, they're the people who sit before us twice a week and, and answer questions, but they aren't politicians, they aren't uh, uh, leaders in the armed forces. So I think we, we 
I, and he's not a spokesman for the owner either. No, no he isn't. Um, so I, th- I think probably the time to move on from those type of questions for Thomas Tuchel has come. The, 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 the timing of the announcement from Roman Abramovich was odd because it was literally just before they kicked off their FA Cup game against Luton. I think... Chelsea fans will be a bit worried about who will come in and take over the club. I don't think it will be an overnight process because there's all kinds of issues at play. That the, the fact that uh, the, the group of supporters who, who own Stamford Bridge. No, they don't own Stamford. Sorry, Bridge. own the pitch. They own the they own the actual pitch. That's all they Sorry, own. Own and, the pitch, and they own the right that anybody who plays on the pitch can be called Chelsea Football Club. And if for example, someone decides to move them from that area, and although they can trade as Chelsea Football Club, once they move them from Stamford Bridge and that particular pitch, they can no longer call themselves Chelsea Football Club, so which that- is why, even if you just change the slightly the direction of it, they would need the involvement of the Chelsea pitch owners. It's a good protection mechanism for supporters, but it does add complications when trying to find a buyer. Yeah, so that will delay the process. Whoever comes in has still got to be subject to the, the checks from the Premier League in terms of if they're fit and proper to own a football club. So I think there's going to be a lot more uncertainty off the field at Chelsea, but I'm, I'm not convinced it will have too much impact in terms of how the players and the manager perform on the pitch. Chelsea's last five Premier League wins have all been level at half-time, and uh, Sean Dyche's men may be able to hold on to at least then. You never know. Watford take on Arsenal. They're also towards the bottom of the table. Watford against the Champions League chasing Gunners. Look, actually, Arsenal have done pretty well recently, even when pegged back against Wolverhampton Wanderers. They reacted well in that game and a slight change of system good substitutions from Mikel Arteta got them over the line they're not easy to break down Watford and Arsenal don't create that many chances this could be a low scoring game yeah I think it could and I think the interesting question about Arsenal is going to be between now and the end of the season who is going to score the goals because they have left themselves light in attack there's no doubt about that I said at the time, I thought letting Aubameyang go in the way that they did was a mistake and a failure of leadership. I still believe that. Look at the goals he's scoring for Barcelona. Look at how energised he looks. I know there was blame on both sides, but I still think that was a failure. Uh, and even, no matter how you know defenders of Arteta will try and dress that up. So it'll be interesting to see if that costs them in the long run. Roy Hodgson has gone in and done what we expected him to do in some way, shape or form in the sense that they have kept some clean sheets. They have dug out some good results, but they need wins. Digging out draws isn't going to be enough. They've got to find a way of getting that balance between defence and attack because his nature, certainly when he's in this kind of survival mode, is to try and dig in at the expense of the attack. And I'm not sure that's going to work for him between now and the end of the season. They have to start picking up wins. 19 points from 26 games suggest that you can't bore your way to safety. No, at some point he is going to have to take the shackles off and, and uh, put some faith in the, in the attacking talents they have. And there is talent there. Um, Ishmael Assar... I think is a player who will be in the Premier League probably next season with or without Watford. Josh King, when he's up for it, and sadly for Watford that isn't often enough, is a player who can score goals in the Premier League. And I think Emmanuel Dennis has been excellent, um, in fairness, uh, for the Hornets. So we know that Roy Hodgson is a pragmatist, but I think he will, as I say, have to adopt a more attacking philosophy because points aren't going to do it. I do think it will be a difficult game for Arsenal. I think they'll probably just about come out on top, but I'm not expecting a fantastic spectacle. Well, he made an odd comment, didn't he, when he was saying that actually everyone keeps telling me that my four players are very, very good, but I'm yet to see it. 
up until this point. Emmanuel Dennis is, you know, is one of those top scorers in the Premier League. There's only six players that have scored more goals in the Premier League this season than Emmanuel Dennis, and three of those play for Liverpool. I find Dennis a really strange case, Sam, actually, because I commentated on a couple of his games for Köln last season in the Bundesliga, and he was nowhere near the level he's found this season. And at Club Bruges, he had some great games. He played really well at the Bernabeu at one stage in a 2-2 draw against Real Madrid. And you thought, wow, there's a player here. There's, there's certainly some potential. But then just couldn't get in a very poor Köln team uh, last season. So for him to have had the kind of bounce that he has is testament to him. But it also shows you there is a variability in the level of his performances and a kind of volatility in his form. So we'll see how he does under Hodgson in the long term. OK, Tottenham, Everton to come. Wolves, Crystal Palace as well and Newcastle against Brighton. But first... Hello, Lucy. Hello, you are right? Oh, yes, we're fine. How are you? I am just great. I feel like it's been a long time since we uh, we spoke to you. Uh, is everything okay? Yeah, well, it's not. Well, it's been longer for me and you. Obviously, you uh, skived off the last show, so it was just uh, myself ah. and Crook. Oh yes, I, I, did, I wouldn't say skived off. I was, I was doing a live football match. Sorry about that. Well, as I've said to Trevor before, we need to sort out priorities of some people yeah. within this podcast. I agree. Listen, listen, don't, please don't compare me to Trevor. I like to sleep in Sinclair. <laughs> What have you got for us today? So, uh, this week's quiz, we're going to have a look at Saturday's game, Aston Villa against Southampton. Oh, back-to-back league wins for Southampton. Right, should we start with you, Kev? Yes, although my record in this quiz is very poor, but I will <laughs> endeavour to improve it. How many goals has Southampton Shea Adams scored so far this season? And to make it easier, he has made 20 appearances. Oh, OK. I'm going to go for... Seven. Bang on the money. Seven goals. Well done, Kev. Yes. you've done that? It's a total fluke. I'd love to claim brilliant, <laughs> incisive knowledge there, but that was a fluke. That was a, a wild guess. Right, Crook. Currently, Aston Villa have won as many games as they have lost against Southampton at 29 apiece. But how many games have they drawn? See, that's a much more difficult question than Kevin's, isn't it? So 29 apiece. So that takes you to around about you know, 58. 58. So Is this in the Premier League, Luce? Or in, oh. This is in all competitions throughout history. Oh, great. Ever. So, so Kevin gets a question about the last six months and I get one about so the whole of history. Southampton have won 29 games against Aston Villa in the Premier League, have they? Come on. I mean, much as I'd like to claim I'm Chad Adams' biographer, I mean, I, you know... Yeah, but that, that, that should have been my question as South Coast correspondent. Well, so you should know how good or bad the record is against Aston Villa. I would never close. That's 58. 12. Kev. If he gets uh, this bang on, he's never invited back again. 18. 23. It was oh. 23. So close. So here we go, Sam. As you know... Yeah. <laughs> Southampton's mascot is based on a St. Bernard dog, Sammy the Saint. What is the average weight of a male St. Bernard when fully grown? Kilograms or what? Well, I've got all the options for you, Sam. You can either do pounds, <laughs> kilograms or stone. 
So hold on, your, your, football, your football questions are crap and badly researched, but you've got all the possible weight categories that it could be that I'm about to offer up to you in terms of what sort of measurements it will be. Well, they're not badly researched, are they? They're just very difficult. That's the, that's the difference. Well, Kev's wasn't that difficult, was it? I'm going to go for... How dare you? Roughly <laughs> £100. Incorrect. Oh, are they a lot heavier, Luce? <laughs> Why are you asking her that? That's cheating. That's Those dogs are a big old unit, Crook. It's a big old unit of a dog. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how many pounds I weigh, let alone a dog. Well, just say, what, what's, how much stone do you weigh? It's about, it's about as big as you, I I'm not admitting that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for £130. Closer, but not quite. Is, is it a mouse and bird? I'm going to go even that? bigger. I'm going to go £142. Incorrect, Kev. It was 160. Wow. Oh. wow. That's amazing. I think that is That's heavier big. than me. Well, how much is it in kilograms? So that's 72 kgs or 11 stone. It's definitely not heavier than no, you. It's not 11 than stone. <laughs> Saturday, 3 o'clock, Tottenham Everton. Who's, who's got the worst away form in the league? Who do you reckon? Who's got the worst away form in the league? Well, you're giving oh, us a Everton clue. might be a shout, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with Everton. I might have gone with them anyway, but I'll go with Everton. Yeah, Everton, they're, they're, they're absolutely terrible. They can see in each of their last 11 outings, they've got the worst away record in the Premier League this season. They take on top four chasing Spurs. But it's very difficult because both these two teams are a little bit like a roller coaster. They'll have one good game, one bad game. Everton pretty good at home, whereas Tottenham Hotspur... I just seem to have one day on, one day off, depending on who they're playing. Yeah, and I said in the week, that has to come down a little bit to the manager. I think Tottenham fans... But doesn't it come down to the players and the quality and lack thereof? I think there's more quality than we've seen. I think there's enough quality to beat Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. I think there's enough quality uh, not to lose at home to the likes of Southampton and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, but they haven't just been Spursy under Antonio Conte, have they? They've no, been... but Antonio Conte is supposed to be the messiah, the, the, the man who's going to come in and suddenly win Tottenham their first trophy in, in 15 years. Wand, though, is he? He's not going to be able to turn it around that quickly. That's just a, that is a silly assertion to make. I thought they would have done better under him than they have. What about you, Kevin? Do you think are we expecting more from them under him? He actually did quite well in the first nine games. He didn't lose one in the Premier League. Yeah, I think they've been okay. I, I think it. There are some world class players there in, in Son and Kane. Do you actually think that also, Son's world class? Really? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think he is. If you look at the consistency of his performances in the Premier League, which is the top domestic league over the last few years, I think Stella. I think he was brilliant in Germany before that. Um, I think he has been sensational. And I think if you've got him, you've got Kane, obviously you're always going to be in with a shot in attack. But he took over a group of players that had had a horrible time under Nuno, a horrible time under Jose Mourinho, some really bad mistakes at the top of the football club. And I do think there are some big gaps in the squad. And it it's not usual for Conte to take over a club at this stage of a season. He wants a full pre-season. He wants input into the transfers. I think bringing quite in demanding, Ben Tancura, isn't he? Well, yeah, but it should be. He should be because what he demands of himself, he demands of players and of the club administrators. Yeah. He's always been like that. And that's, and that's generally... 
That's but a problem. It is a problem, but it's generally been successful. Yeah, well, it is and... a successful if you've got everybody who's going to do that, and that's absolutely right, because yes. at top clubs, you usually get that mentality. But when you have been at Tottenham, you realise that that isn't the case, and he has realised that isn't the case, and that's why he reacted yes. the way he did when I spoke to him after the Burnley game. It's why he then came out with his press conference ahead of the uh, FA Cup tie, telling everybody it was all a strategy, which I don't ever think is a good idea to say things that I say in the press conference is just a strategy, because from now on, no one's ever going to believe anything you say. But anyway, that's a different matter but yeah look that that track record is there but you have to you have to do it his way and ultimately this is a guy that walked away from a club that had just won the Scudetto because he was told that Suning were not going to be able financially to maintain the kind of squad that he wanted so when you bring him in you know what you're going to get so I do think they've made signings that are steps in the right direction. I like Kulisevsky. I like Ben Tankour. I think they're the kind of signings that Conte will want going forward, but they have to make more of them. It's too late now, but they have to make more of them in the summer. So, yes, they've got to find more consistency, but given the situation he inherited, I think he's done pretty well. I just think that they're part of the conversation for the top four the squad is what it is. They can't sign any players between now and the summer. He needs to find a way over the remainder of the season to give Tottenham the best possible opportunity to achieve Champions League football and the constant whinging and moaning after games that maybe all is not as he would want it to be, I, I don't think creates a very healthy environment. Can you just cheer up a little bit? You've been a bit miserable. As the pod's going on, you're getting a little bit miserable. You've been a bit more like Kev. He loves everybody who's ever played in yeah. Germany. All right? Okay? Exactly. Um, He's well, always been like that, Conte, by the way. Not I crooked, thought you meant me. But, well, maybe he has always been like that. He's definitely um, always been like that. But Inter fans recognise it. And Juve fans will recognise it as well. He moans. He moans and it, it's all about that kind of aggression and intensity and there are a few mind games in there as well. So that that moaning is not going anywhere. The Wolves have lost just four of their last 12 matches but they've had some significant defeats in their race to be European football contenders for next season. They're losing at Arsenal and then at West Ham United. But could they get more joy at Crystal Palace? Possibly. I've got a bit of a downer on Wolves as well at the oh, moment. Crikey. And I've been quite complimentary of Bruno Large. Is this because you the tipped Wolves them to get into the season. top four and they've let you, you down ever since? You were tipping them top four last time yeah, I was I on. What happened here? Well, I, I <laughs> another big U-turn. I thought they were really negative beep, beep, against Arsenal. Um, I thought they got the goal and they tried to sit back and kill off the game. There They've were a lot, of, a lot of game management. Yeah, but it annoyed me, particularly because I was watching it in a house full of Arsenal fans. I put money on Wolverhampton Wanderers. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And then uh, it wasn't, quite frankly. And then they lost at West Ham. I wouldn't want to have a season ticket at Molyneux, put it that way. Uh, well, Patrick Vieira is trying to make uh, Crystal Palace more expansive. And I think a lot of people said that they wouldn't want a season ticket at Selhurst Park a year ago. But now they're queuing round the block for them. Although it hasn't yielded a great set of results. The problem with playing more expansive football, Kevin, is, is defensively you become a little bit more unreliable. Yeah, the balance isn't quite right. But I think he has made strides. I think all of the performances will tell you that. But it's going to be a long-term process. I think what's good is that they've given him full license to do that. Patrick Vieira, it seems like everybody's on board. But you can only make certain strides while you have the players that you have. And so uh, I think guys like Ulisse look really, really good. I think he's thrived uh, in that kind of setup. I actually think Crookie's being a little bit harsh on Bruno Lage because 
he's taken over a squad there that's a mid-table squad. Yeah, It just is. And he's trying to make them more expansive. If you look at, if you, if you only looked at the table and you only looked at the goals for and goals against Colin, you think, wow, God, they're dull. I'd never want to go and see them. If you actually look at the underlying numbers, it's a real freak. Yeah. Like they should have scored more goals. Should have scored way more, should have conceded more as well. So doesn't quite tell the whole story. I'd also be quite, you know, perturbed if I was a Wolves fan that they lost Adama Traore, who's been brilliant in Barcelona since he went there, and didn't really bring in uh, an attempt to replace him. So I think I Wolves think fans have been a bit disappointed with the owners over the past couple of transfer yeah. windows. How can they be yeah. disappointed with being where they are on the table, though, bearing in mind that everybody thought that it was going to collapse in Yeah, but imagine where they could large. be with a bit more investment. Maybe, that's that, that's a good point. But as as I think Kevin has already pointed out, the underlying statistics, when you look at XG, X points, etc., etc., probably means they're punching above their weight as it is. Uh, Newcastle United play Brighton at 3 o'clock on Saturday. Look, Newcastle are one of the form teams in the league. In their last five league games, they've taken 13 points from a possible 15. I can be nice about somebody here, can't I? Um, I'm really impressed. We had Eddie Howe on on White and Jordan this week. Brilliant interview that you did. I thought he came across very relaxed, like he's loving the, the job that he's been entrusted with. The relationship between him and the board seems positive. The relationship between him and his players likewise and this is probably a good time to be playing Brighton because the wheels have come off a bit um, for Graham Potter I was at the game against Aston Villa last weekend they were deservedly beaten the goals have dried up and at the moment there's a danger their season will just peter out into a bit of nothingness and this is all because he started taking himself far too seriously and started dressing like a, a businessman rather than a football he's manager. always worn that coat <laughs> that you've picked <laughs> no, up he has not right he, he has look right but I think this is a good opportunity for Newcastle obviously they'll be without uh, Kieran Trippier once again but he'll be in the dressing room cajoling his teammates as he was at the Brentford Community Stadium and I think Newcastle have a great chance of continuing their their recent good run Okay, that's it from us thank you very much uh, to Kevin Hatchard and to Alex Crook we will be back on Monday morning when you wake up reviewing all the Premier League action and what a weekend it is going to be Manchester City going to thrash Manchester United Crook is going to be moaning about that on Monday morning as well aren't you aren't you aren't you well I'm not one to moan are you supposed to say as a a proper Manchester United fan no we're going to win yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some great games on game day on TalkSport as well. At uh, 12.30 on Saturday, Jesse Marsh's first game in charge of Leeds United. And then at 5.30, it's Liverpool against West Ham. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? 
Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.